Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Paddle Pod, your weekly podcast covering professional paddle presented by Hugo and Gons. We're on to episode 22 now, Hugo. Uh, it's great to have you here, as always. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Gons. And, well, as always, hi, everyone. What a pleasure it is to be back on the Paddle Pod. And, well, I think before we get started and move on to a summary of last week's Boss German Paddle Open, which was truly epic, I have to say, some of the best matches I've watched this season. I've got to say that um, it felt really bad when we finished our previous episode because we didn't talk about the fact that one of the biggest legends of the game is no longer active and has decided to retire. And Gons, can you tell me who that is? Uh, I think I know who this might be. And he goes by the nickname of the Canon. Correct. El Canon de Porto Alegre, Pablo Lima, is, well, has decided to retire. I mean, what a player. I think we wanted to make, just use a short space to make a mention and basically a tribute to one of the greatest players to have ever played paddle. He is actually the second player with the most World Paddle Tour trophies ever, which probably a lot of people don't know, particularly youngsters and young people who have started following Paddle recently. The only player that's won more World Paddle Tour trophies is the GOAT, i.e. Fernando Velasterin. And Pablo Lima is almost in a league of his own because the next player in the ranking with the most World Paddle Tour trophies is Sanya Gutierrez with 37. I mean, he's 13 trophies behind Pablo Lima, which is basically the distance between Lima and Velasterin. It just shows that he could actually be, in terms of results at least, the greatest forehand player ever. Gons, what are your thoughts? For sure. And when you also take into account the fact that he's got, well, I guess now the second most victories in a row at 53, uh, which was only surpassed this season by Coelho and Tapia. And when you also take into account the fact that he was the world number one, only, let's say, for a few weeks with Juan Imieres, but they battled against Belasterin and Juan Martin Diaz and managed to get that number one spot. And Juan Martin Diaz and Belasterin are widely regarded as the best pair ever. Like, I don't even think there's any discussion at the moment around the best pair ever. So the fact that he's basically got the second most titles by a lot, by a while, he's got the second most consecutive victories. He's been number one with two different pairs. And at the same time, when he was number one, he essentially, with Juan Imieres, beat the best pair ever. I just think those essentially accolades result in just give him such a strong uh, argument for being the best forehand player ever. And arguably the second best player ever after Velasterin. Agreed. Totally agree. And, well, let's not forget that apart from what you just mentioned, in 2015, after being the number one seeded pair in the world for a bit with Juan Imieres, another legend of the game, Fernando Velasterin decided to pair up with Vela. And exactly. they were the number one ranked pair for a number of years after that. Until, obviously... Juan Lebron and Paquito Navarro broke their, well, their, their uh, 
their winning streak essentially and and stole the the number one spot if I'm not mistaken. So, well, yeah, actually, it, Maxi actually, Santif and Sanyol Diarif broke it. I think that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm just thinking. So were Maxi Sanchez and Sanyol Diarif the ones who were then succeeded by Paquito and Lebron, or were they kind of losing and winning that first spot consistently against Pablo Lima and Fernando Lasterin. I'm not entirely sure. You you might be right. It might have been um, Maxi and, and Sanyo. But anyway, I mean, I was just referring to the fact that it's huge that Fernando Lasterin, after winning so many tournaments, being the one number one seeded pair for so many years, decided to step aside from Juan Martin Diaz and team up with Pablo Lima. Just shows the fact that he really believed in him and thought he could be the successor to what many people think, well, who many people think is the greatest forehand player ever in Juan Martin Diaz. So, yeah, I've just got to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty sad. Um, it is true that Pablo Lima has been suffering with injuries for some time now, particularly this season. I remember that he started off actually quite well with Coqui Nieto, and I thought they were going to do well as a pair. But the problem is they only played a couple of tournaments at the start of the season. And then Pablo Lima has basically been niggling injuries since. So, big shame, but it's clearly the best for him. And he'll actually be taking over Ali Galan's uh, role as the president of the Professional Paddle Players Association, as we mentioned when that was announced a couple of months ago now. So, I'm sure he's going to be around and showing his face in paddle, which is what really matters. So, yeah, all the best, Pablo, and see you around. <laughs> yeah, you will be missed. But, uh, yeah, your legacy is definitely staying behind. Um, but I guess uh, moving on to other topics, we obviously had the German boss paddle open this week. And I'm going to start with you, Hugo, because uh, I have a feeling that it wasn't a great week for you and your Lebron Angelan prediction. So I'm just very keen to hear your thoughts on that. There you go. Obviously, that had to be mentioned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got to be honest. This is not good for my breakup prediction. I mean, I'm sure everyone watched the tournament. Lebron was just immense. It's definitely been his best tournament all season. He was, for me, the MVP of the semi-finals against Guayon Tapia and the MVP of the final against Tupandineno. And that's without being able to use his smash as much as he used to and as effectively as he used to. To put that to perspective, you're playing in the semi-finals, you're playing maybe the players with a three-blessed smash on tour in the sense that you're playing alongside Galan against Boyan Tapia, being the best player in that match is just sensation. It's clear yeah. that the fact that the court was slower benefited Lebron. He took advantage of that and essentially made the court his own chessboard and just moved the pieces around and his opponents around as how he wished. But yeah, I've got to be honest. Lebron, unbelievable. Galan, was so, so good in the key moments of the match. In the, well, both matches, the semi-finals and the final. His smash won so many points for for the pair. And yeah, I've got to be honest, three 
unbelievable matches that I want to highlight. Obviously, the quarterfinals between Guayon Tapia against Kogi Nieto and John Santh. As we, we've mentioned loads of times, Kogi Nieto and John Santh are this year's up and rising pair and probably the biggest revelation. And they actually had a match point against Guayon Tapia, though they ended up losing that match. They took them to the limit. And I think that's one of the reasons why Guayon Tapia potentially weren't at the best in terms of their level when playing Lebron Galan in the semi-finals. They were probably quite tired. But yeah, then that semi-final is probably the most anticipated match on tour right now. And, well, the final against the Super Pibes where Lebron Galan essentially wiped the Super Pibes and they're not off the court. Yeah. Gons, what were your thoughts? Maybe what was your biggest highlight? Yeah, I think when speaking about Lebron and Galan, the first thing that I thought once they, they won was just Paro needs this. I think that Paro needs this version of Lebron and Galan simply because it will make all the other players just work harder and it will raise the level in a similar way to how the level in tennis was raised once you had the big three or the big big four as well, if you want to include Andy Murray. It's just that, that I guess... The, the fact that Lebron and Galan are sort of, I wouldn't say, or maybe not necessarily you can say that they're back, but the fact that they've reached that level and if they continue to do so, will only push Coyon Tapia and will only push Los Super Pibes to be even better. And I think that that will just make Paddle even better, right? And it will obviously push all the other pairs to, to be even better. And as you mentioned, we're starting to see that with, for example, Koki uh, and and John Sant, how they've improved, but yeah, I just think overall Parol needs this version of LeBron and Galan because they can really, this could really be a massive big three. And what I also really like about these pairs is they all have, I would say, such different play styles and different skills, like strong points and weaknesses. Uh, so. It could really be, if if they're all at their top level, you honestly don't know who can win. And it can almost be so dependent as well on mat, like court conditions, even the weather outside, because the slightest thing will give someone the edge, if you see, if you see what I mean. So, uh, so, yeah, it's just very exciting. Uh, I think as we discussed as well, when we were talking about the potential split between Lebron and Galan, we both sort of came to the conclusion that there's not really any pair out them for either of them that could make them compete with Lebron, uh, sorry, with Coyo Tapia or with Los Super Pibes. And that, yes, despite the fact that maybe Lebron and Galan now have some differences or there's some issues off court or anything like that, or the attitude is not there, or there's just sort of, I guess, you're after being so long together and reaching such highs, that there's just like a natural dropout. But in terms from in terms of just speaking about Paddle and their abilities and how they complement each other as players, we just both of knew both of us knew that there's just not like a another pair out them that, that is suitable. So I think that this obviously for your prediction is maybe not the best uh, result. But I think for Paddle it could be very good. And if Lauren Angalan continue this this way and end the year on a high. Um, then, you know, they could just be like, look, let's put 2024 
uh, let's give it our all. And let's just, you know, they've been affected by injuries. So they can't, you can't really, you have to take that into account as well, right? Uh, so I think that this could definitely be a, a before and after for them. And the, the players they had to go through were just incredible. Their draw was quite tough, their side of the draw. And they had to go through Tejo Ruiz. Then they had to go through uh, the number one pair, Coyo Tapia. And then they went through Los Superpibes. And the fact they beat Los Superpibes 6-2-6-2, which is just remarkable because it's so hard to just beat them like that. I think uh, speaks volumes. But look, let's see. Obviously, it was just one tournament. It would be great to see how they carry this on, this momentum. But uh, if they are here, then all the pairs better watch out. Um, and I think one last mention that I want to do, which was sort of my other highlight of the tournament, were Leo Asburger and Tino Livac. We've mentioned that there was a lot of hype around them once they joined. Uh, again, back in, I think it was late July, beginning of August, but the results hadn't gone their way. I don't think they won a single match, at least at World Paddle Tour level. But this tournament, they made the quarterfinals. Uh, they obviously lost to Los Super Pibes, but on their way, they beat Momo and Garrido, for example. Yes, I think that the court conditions sort of suited them. It seemed like a faster court. But at the same time, it's great to see them sort of go into a deep run into a tournament. I'm sure this will give them a lot of confidence. And yeah, I think that they're obviously like the best players or, or like I would say the most talented players um, for, for, for the future. And they'll definitely be up there. But uh, yeah, it's just good, I guess, for them to get these wins and hopefully develop their game a bit more or than that, just being good when there's fast conditions but we know that the the game of paddle is evolving towards that, so we'll see we'll see how they fare towards uh, the end of the year. But yeah, it was great to see them again going a deep run at a tournament. Agreed. And just to take it back for a sec, given that we we were mentioning about the how the number one ranked pair changed. Obviously, it was Juan Martin and and Bella for so many years. Then it was Pablo Lima with Bella, and you're very right. It was Maxi Sanchez and Sanya Gutierrez who then became the number one seeded pair during 2018. But again, Pablo Lima suffered quite a few injuries throughout those years, which was, I think, one of the reasons why his partnership with Fernando Velasteguin ended abruptly. And it was then Paquito Lebron who overtook their number one spot from, well, they stole it from Maxi Sanchez and Sanya. So you're very right, Gons. I thought, I don't know why I thought Pablo Lima and Fernando Velasterin had turned that round again and managed to steal the number one spot at some point during those, well, two years or so. But, yep, you're very right. Um, in terms of moving on to, to, well, so many different things you've discussed, totally agree. Great to see Libak and Alsborough get back to their best. We both said when they separated towards the start of the season that they were probably making a mistake. Obviously, they probably learned a lot from their respective partners during this time. Livac played with Lamberti, one of the biggest lenders of the game, so I'm sure he learned a lot from him. But they're just so good together. They work so well in sync. Osburger's smash fits Livac a lot because Livac doesn't play a smash very often. Then Livac uses his Bibora to basically leave a lot of points, almost half one at the net for Osburger to put them away. So 
they just work super well. And again, that's another match that I wanted to mention. Their match against the Super Bires in the quarterfinals. Even though the Super Bires won in two sets and it seemed relatively comfortable when you look at the score, the match was not at all comfortable for them. The first set, I actually thought the Super well, Auswurger and Libak were better. And there were a few golden points, which basically determined the set. I think the experience that Dineno and Stuba have helped them edge it. The second set was obviously more one-sided towards the, the Super Bires. But again, that was another sensation match. And also the semi-finals between Paquito Navarro and Chingoto against the Super Bires, where following last week's match when the Super Bires won the third set, sixth love against Chingoto Navarro. Chingoto Navarro won the first set this week against the Super Bires, sixth love. So they turned it round and it really looked like they could make the final, but the Super Bires, they just never give up. Even when it's six love down in the first set, they managed to turn the match around and end up winning it relatively comfortably, I'd say. It always seemed like they were they had the upper hand. So I just wanted to, to drop it out there. I actually think this, well, last week's Boss German Battle Open was probably the tournament that had the most sensational matches this season, as in the biggest number. Because we've literally mentioned five or six, which were unbelievable. And we saw all the matchups you want to see. We saw the Super Bibes against Lebron and Galan, Boyo and Tapia against Lebron and Galan. We watched, as you said, Alex Reith and Tejo against Lebron and Galan, which also went to three sets. Leo Ausburger and Livak against almost like their fathers on tour, if you think about the fact that they're the other Argentine pair in Dineno and Stupa. So what a week, what a week. And I wanted to make another mention to the fact that it seems like Sixth now very much involved in the World Battle Tour since the Madrid Open. So obviously they had the naming rights for the Madrid Master. And now they they were also one of the presenting sponsors alongside Hugo Boss for this week. And they were branding the seats. You see, obviously, the, the orange colours of their logo on the players' seats. I don't know what deal. I haven't seen any press around the deal, but it seems like they must have signed a pretty big deal from now until the end of the season. Yeah, the I did notice that the benches looked a bit funny, almost like... <laughs> uh, football stadium benches where the players and the substitute players and the coaches seat. Yeah, I think it's really smart, to be honest. I think there's so much to do in paddle, so much yet to do in terms of branding, sponsorship. As we mentioned previously, a lot of brands are starting to get involved and, well, I'm sure they will benefit from it because there's so many eyeballs on paddle at the moment. I mean, it's the world's fastest growing sport. So it's so great to see that. And what was the low light for you, Gons? Well, actually, you sort of, I guess, discussed it a bit, but I would actually say Paquito and Chingoto uh, was one of them, mainly because, as you were mentioning, they were six love up against Los Super Pibes. And, yeah, they what seemed like they were rolling over them, then towards the end of the match, they got rolled over. And I think that, yeah, they just have such high potential. But at the same time, I almost feel like they have a ceiling. And it basically is whatever 
Paquito decides it to be in the in in the sense that whatever level he is it's how far the pair can go if he's at 100% the pair can win titles i think if he's not 100% then it will just it will be hard for him to or it will be hard for the pair i guess to to make it further in in tournaments and i think chingoto is always like a stable let's just say eight, sometimes he goes to a nine, sometimes he drops down to a seven, but he's relatively stable. However, I don't think that he's capable of winning you a tournament or he might be capable of winning a couple of matches, but he's not capable of pulling like a five match winning streak just say, by himself. Whereas I think Paquito does have that ability. So yeah, I guess they've had like a number of three setters this season that hasn't that haven't gone their way We've seen Paquito sometimes in these three sets of struggles with fitness. So, yeah, I just think that I have I have him in such high regard because I generally think that he I generally think that he can even be world number one if he's playing at his 100 percent. Obviously, if he's constantly having playing finals and stuff, then, yeah, he would probably need to work a bit more on his fitness to be able to to get that consistency of being at 100 percent all the time. But I definitely think that he's got that peak. Um, so that was one of them and then the other one would probably be uh, Garrido and Momo which obviously lost to uh, Tino Livac and uh, Augsburger as we mentioned yeah I just think that look obviously new pair and potentially the court conditions weren't the best for them but I think uh, the one that I'm sort of being let down on is Garrido more than Momo I feel like he's not sort of pulling his weight and we know the potential that he has and how big of a threat he is offensively. But I just feel like he's very inconsistent and he sort of needs to find his groove and, and really work on the mental side and really work on his consistency to, to really be at the top. Because I do feel like Momo's adapting quite well to the right. Uh, obviously still not perfect and as a pair they need to work on a couple of things. But yeah, I would say those two are sort of my main disappointments. But having said this, I'm also pretty sure that Momo and Garrido, with a bit more time, they're playing this week in the FIP tournament in Sardinia. So I'm sure that will do them very well. And yeah, I guess the more they play, we should expect them to be a bit, to be better for sure. I agree. And to be honest, I've got to say, I don't really think there's been any, any major lowlights. The match with, well, between Garrido and Momo against Libak and Auschwitz, yes, one, one would have probably predicted Garrido and Momo to win it. But we now we know how good Libak and Auschwitz are. So we, I think we both knew that they were going to cause a major upset at some point. So, yeah, no, no massive lowlights for me. I also agree with the fact, well, what you were saying, that if Paquito was playing, Potentially with a with a slightly better forehand pair. Let's take this. Well, Chingoto is a sensational there. player. Well, and the fact that I just wanted to say that Chingoto is a sensational player and one of the best players in the world. The problem is, is that the three pairs that are better better than them at the moment are aliens. Lebron Angalan dominated the sport for almost four yeah. years. Koyan Tapia, one of the best pairs in my eyes to ever play the game. Really, after the start to the well, this whole year, and the Super Bibes were actually challenging, believe it or not, for the number one spot 
in the World Paddle Tour rankings before the end of the season. So I do agree. I think if Paquito were to team up with one of those three forehand players, Coelho, Lebron, Lineno, he could very much challenge for the number one spot in the world, but those pairs are probably not going to change all that well. You say that, the return of Liberon Paquito is something that would make me very happy and I'd love to watch. And just taking it back to what we were saying about Liberon and Galan, I know they won this week. There aren't that many tournaments left this season. I do think that being how they are, if they don't at least win, say, one or two more, there's still going to be a lot of question marks around whether they should be stay, sticking together. Because, yes, they've been affected by injuries. And this is only my view, so you may disagree. I totally agree with the fact that Galan's probably not going to be able to find another forehand player better than Lebron. However, Paquito at his peak versus Galan at his peak, at his peak slightly similar level. I don't know who I'd be taking right now. Galan is obviously fitter and younger and has a better smash. But Paquito, some of the matches he's played this season, he's been better than Galan when they played against well, against each other. So, I don't know. Lebron, who knows? He could, he could potentially think about it. And just to mention one, I wouldn't say it's a low light, but one of the key reasons why I think Poyo and Tapia lost that semi-final match against Lebron and Galan is the fact that Oyo's aerial threat and presence is not being as good and as consistent as, as it's been this season. It could be due to the fact that the court was slightly slower, but I just think that it, he's not actually playing, well, trying to smash as much. And when he does, a lot of the times, the rival pairs managing to make it up to the net and well, win the point essentially because the ball hasn't bounced high enough. So I think that was one of the keys. And Lebron with a Vibora that is obviously a great Vibora, but not one of the best in the world, managed to keep Cuello back and keep him out of the game and make him make a lot of unforced errors or half-forced errors in his blocks. So obviously massive credit to Lebron and the fact that he managed to do that. But I do think that Cuello is probably thinking I need to get that extra legs on my smash to be able to essentially to be able to dominate like they were before. Yeah, for sure. I think, well, we saw this in the final of Madrid where Coelho was highly inaccurate with the smash. Let's put it that way. Uh, he left it very easy for Stupa or Dineno to bring it back. So could this potentially, could the final have played a, let's just say, hit his confidence in, in the smash? And obviously you were mentioning so. as well, yeah, you were mentioning as well the court conditions, which obviously don't help. But uh, I think that, yeah, it could potentially, I think the smash, smash in particular is such a confidence shot. Um, so we'll see. We'll definitely be seeing how it has evolved, well, how it evolves in the in the coming tournaments. But for sure, there's been a difference in him. I would say from the summer or pre the summer uh, to these last few tournaments. Having said this, of course, they're still absolute aliens, and yeah, it's just they they set the bar so high that when there's just a little deviation from 
not winning every single match, six love, six love, we all get like very spooked about it. Uh, oh, something's going on and whatever. But yes, obviously, there's still the best players in the world. It's classic in sport, isn't it? A couple of nine out of 10 ma matches instead of 12 out of 10 matches and you start getting criticised. So, Goyo, still love you and you're still the best player in the world with Dabia. But one last final random fact that I wanted to mention before we move on to our last topic of the day. So, in the semi-final match between Lebron Galan and Goyo and Dabia, Goyo and Dabia actually won 11 more points than Lebron and Galan even though they lost that match. I don't yeah, think I've ever crazy. seen such a big difference. <laughs> that is pretty crazy, to be fair. It's a stat for Nico Quartz, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That is one straight up from his book. <laughs> well, I think we probably delve deep enough into the boss German Padelope. And the last topic that we wanted to discuss today is the fact that next season's bats are starting to be announced and even be used. We saw Dabia use his new bat during, well, the Madrid Master a couple of weeks ago. That silver bat that looks sensational, particularly given Dabia's new haircut or lid, which is, as you've all seen, very bright and very white. And mm -hmm. when he wears his silver and well, or grey, whatever you want to call it, outfit. It looks pretty cool. It almost looks from the future, really, like a spaceman or something. Paul Badel have also released a lot of their bats for next season. I've seen Teo's bat, Paquito's bat, Chingoto's bat. And essentially what we actually wanted to focus on today is Gonz and I have been discussing the fact that Gonz is considering buying a new bat, which I'm sure Tapia would be very happy to hear about because he only bought <laughs> Tapia's bat towards the start of the year. But uh, Gons was trying out a few bats and one of the ones that he's loved is Alex Reef's Adidas Adi Control, Adi Power Bat, but it's the control version of it, isn't it? Correct. Um, and essentially he was saying that he gives, it gives Gons a lot of control, but he was questioning whether he should be trying to find a bat that is best at what Gons is potentially lacking more or less good at, or should he try to find a bat that improves his USPs and best shots even more? Now, I'd love to open this question up to the public, and if ever anyone, any of our listeners want to drop a comment on our Instagram or I think... actually on our Twitter site. Yeah, I think... Great. We can we can open this up as a poll for on our Twitter and let's have it this week and then we'll we'll see the answers and potentially comment on them on our next pod because uh, I think it's a very interesting question to be honest. Super interesting and I mean my take on it before you you mentioned your view guns although I think we agree after we've spoken about it quite a bit recently. I wanted to use an example which I was told I think it was by my ex-boss in London, he mentioned the fact that there was this squash player, don't know his name, I can't remember, but he'd been trying to break into the, well, not just the top three, but become the number one seeded squash player in the world a number of years back. 
and he analysed his shots and his game with his team. And what they realised is that he was basically an 8 out of 10 in everything. But he wasn't a 10 out of 10 in anything. And they analysed the other top-ranked players, and particularly the players that had made the number one spot over recent years. And they realised that all of them had one thing in common. And it's the fact that they had two or three shots, or even one or two shots, that they were the best at that shot in the world. Even even so, you know, regardless of the fact that they had other shots that were basically a six out of ten and they weren't actually that good, they'd still managed to make one number one spot. So what this guy's team decided to do is improve and focus on the best areas of his game. Well, it ended up being a couple of areas that they decided to just pick because he was an eight out of ten at everything, as I just mentioned. And funnily enough, he ended up becoming the best player in the world. So is this an argument pushing towards the fact that players should actually pick a bat that improves and strengthens the best aspects of their game? I probably think so. But don't know what you think, Bons. Yeah. To be honest, I've always been of the opposite mind. And I think I've slightly changed. And if you also see certain paddle players and their game styles and you see their rackets or their bats it's sort of what we've been speaking about an example is Koki Nieto where he's got a more rounded let's say control game type bat and he's that type of player uh, let's say Tapia as well Tapia's bat let's just say it's a bit it's more offensively than not but it's a bit more rounded and it suits his game style as well we obviously, Tapia offensively is incredible, but he's also amazing defensively. And then if you look at Lebron, very offensively, got a very attack-minded attack bat. Coelho, same thing. The one that's actually quite curious, and we always speak about, is Alex Ruiz, of being that player, but he's never really, like, let's just say, challenging. But he does have the potential. But funnily enough, Ruiz has a control bat when his... The best side of his game is definitely the offensive side. So that would be interesting to see if he ever does switch. But yeah, I think personally speaking for me as well, I might go for a more control, uh, controlled bat because I think that's sort of my, I guess, my better area. I definitely need to improve more my smash. And it's not like I'm just going to like leave it to the side and never touch it and, and never try to, to improve it. But I do think that potentially honing in on what you're actually good at is, uh, is what will get you the better results. And there might be a point where it's like you reach a certain level and then it's like, okay, now you need to definitely develop a more side of, to your game, similar to what we've seen with Martin Dineno, where it's like he got to a level and how he's improved essentially his his attacking level and his smashing ability has gotten him to another level this season. So it's just, I guess it goes in stages where it's like, you feel like you're plateauing and then it's like, once you've plateaued, it's like, okay, what do I need to adjust in my game? But yeah, I've never really tried a controlled bad. And I think my, the area of my game, which is best is sort of more defense control uh, rather than being good, let's just say, in the air. So I'm excited to to try it out and, and see what happens, and I will let you know. But, uh, but yeah, I think this is a very interesting question that we will raise uh, in our social media because uh, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of different and interesting answers. Agreed. And 
I very much enjoyed your take ons. But unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. My last comment of the day is please do watch the this week's FIP Tour. Well, FIP Tour tournament in Sardinia. A lot of interesting pairs. Chingoto will be playing with Yanguas, who will be on the backhand. Who knows? Goggi playing with, if I'm not mistaken, Javi Rico. So, yeah, good tournament to watch. And obviously, it counts towards next year's Premier Battle ranking. So, other than that, thanks very much. And speak soon, guys. See you next week.